Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If you're interested in listening ad-free, go to patreon.com slash the SCP experience. There you can enjoy my ad-free podcast and never have to listen to ads again. That's patreon.com slash the SCP experience. Now time for the story. I never met anyone more different than Peter Westbrook and his dad, Dr. Dennis Westbrook. Dr. Westbrook didn't strike me as any different from any of the other white coats that roam around the halls of the foundation facility. Aloof, hard to approach, constantly tired, and walking like he had the weight of the world on his shoulders. I didn't realize how accurate that was until it was too late. Peter was a breath of fresh air in the facility. In your basic SCP facility, you pretty much have four different types of folk running around. The most common are the researchers, like Dr. Westbrook, in charge of monitoring and securing the anomalies and running experiments on them. The second most common are security folks like my friend Minnie Booth, former cops and soldiers who put the secure in the SCP. Then you have the nosy field investigators like myself, in charge of uncovering the anomalies and interacting with the general public. What we lack in PhDs and combat experience, we make up for in people skills. Then finally, you have the bosses in charge of facilities and operations. Think of your classic mad scientists, but on the side of good, well, mostly. Peter didn't fit into any of these categories. I wondered why a 12-year-old was given free roam of the building. The SCP definitely didn't have a bring your kids to work day, but Peter never seemed to leave. My suspicions about the kid were immediately dashed when he met my dog, Book. Dog, he cried and rushed over and hugged him. The kid was all right by Book, which made him all right by me. Dogs are better judges of character than most humans. Over time, as we drifted in and out of the facility, Book and I got to know Peter pretty well. Given a choice between most of the hard asses that make up the foundation, I'd hang out and talk comics with the 12-year-old any day. He had more energy than most kids his age and latched onto any subject with a passion. And the kid never got tired of hearing my stories. I told him the story of a stone statue that had fallen in love, berries that would make you fart yourself to death, and the time Book and I fought a mummy and a werewolf. Okay, so maybe that last one never happened, or at least not yet. When you work for the foundation, even for a short time like me, you collect a lot of weird stories. The problem is you can't share them with anyone. Since Peter was given free reign in the facility, I didn't think I breached any security protocols. Not that I cared that much if I did. That's what I try to remember. The kid who liked comic books and loved my stories. Someone who treated Book like he was the first dog he had ever seen every time he saw him. I try not to think about what happened on his 12th birthday, but of course, I'll never forget it. I woke up to the sound of Book growling, rising from my bed. I rubbed my eyes, already knowing 
Ooh, it would be. Book is the friendliest dog you'll ever meet. I know everyone says that about their dog, but I stand by it. There's only one person he growls at. As my vision came into focus, a bald man with a cane stood out against the starkness of my living quarters. Director Griffith had a habit of calling me up for assignments when I was asleep. I'm not sure if it was a matter of bad timing or his way of testing new agents to be ready at all times of the day. Him coming to me directly though was something new. He held a folder out to me and the labels on it made me blink. Level two clearance. The last I checked, I only had level one. Read it on the way to the sub-basement. Right. I yawned and started to follow him. Griffith took one look at me, cleared his throat and gestured down. The only thing I wore was my Spider-Man boxers. I'm definitely not a morning person, or more specifically, I'm not an anything less than three cups of coffee person. The lack of alertness dulled my embarrassment as I quickly slung myself into some jeans and a t-shirt, then followed after Griffith with book in tow. I opened the folder and began scrolling. My eyes widened as the contents woke me up faster than a whole pot of coffee mixed with amphetamines. Oh, bullshit, I said as we reached the elevator. Director Griffith pressed the call button. I think I would have noticed if Earth had a second moon. I think everyone would have noticed. Griffith gave no indication of amusement as he stepped into the elevator. Keep reading. Book and I stepped after him and I scanned the rest of the dossier. As with most things within the foundation, the details were even weirder than the broad strokes. Not only did a second moon spontaneously come into being 12 years ago, but it was also symbiotically linked to a child born on the same day. The moon grew exponentially every year on the child's birthday. Its increasing gravity made it a dire threat to the planet. To make matters worse, whatever happened to the moon would happen to the child. The moon, or SCP-5808 rather, was being masked using another anomaly from the general public. The kid, SCP-5808-1, was contained on site under the care of Dr. Dennis Westbrook. Westbrook? Oh shit, I said as the name clicked in my mind. Peter? Director Griffith nodded, the hint of sadness forming a tiny crack in his ordinarily stoic expression. It's worse this year. SCP-5808 hasn't stopped growing since midnight. Since you've become friendly with the boy, I thought you might help put his mind at ease while we attempt to deal with the satellite. My hands clenched into fists, crumbling the folder and its contents. Boss, if you lay a hand on Peter, Cody. Griffith addressed me by my name about as often as you do your parents. I will do anything to protect this planet. Anything except harm a child. Director Griffith and I will never trust each other, not fully anyway. But before I became a reluctant agent of the Foundation, I had spent all my adult life as an investigative journalist. I've met everyone, from friendly neighbors who secretly had a graveyard beneath their porch, to mobsters who made donations to charities. Years of experience have given me a pretty good bullshit detector, and Griffith's assurances didn't raise any alarms. It was nice to know that there were some lines that not even the director would cross. The elevator opened to the sub-basement. Griffith led us a short way to a scene straight out of Apollo 13. The room was filled with computers and an army of lab coats. 
Numerous monitors of different sizes showed the Earth, the Moon, and something remarkably similar to the Moon, but smaller. The front wall was one giant screen showing SCP-5808 at its center. Text in the corner of the screen showed numbers growing smaller as whatever shuttle or spacecraft the SCP Foundation piloted got closer. The center screen also showed numbers, the expansion of the second moon growing larger. At the center of the moon stood a man I had never seen before. He definitely had the look of one of the Foundation's security forces, although a decade or two past his prime. Even then, I wouldn't want to tangle with him. Muscles bulged from his arms, and his scowl was prominent beneath his walrus-like mustache. Scott Meacham, Griffith said, one of the five overseers of the Foundation. That reminded me of something from the file. Is that what O5 stands for? Saw them a few times in the file. Griffith nodded. They're a counterfoil to the members of the Ethics Committee. We've disagreed on how to handle this particular anomaly. I blinked. We? The guy who drugged, kidnapped, and indentured me is on the ethics committee? Griffith smiled. As I said during your recruitment, we are not an orthodox institution. Therefore, right, I sighed. Unorthodox ethics. Sounds like an excuse to be a book. Peter's voice cut off my estimation of Griffith's ethical standards as he ran over. Book met him halfway, and they collided in a storm of excited giggles and barks. The file puts things in a new perspective. Peter had spent his whole life in the SCP facility, living here with his father. Book might have been the first dog he had ever seen in person. Peter's father was close behind him. The tired expression, usually on his face, was magnified by a hundred. He reached out and shook the director's hand with a smile more sincere than I'd ever seen between an employer and a subordinate. Thanks for getting them, John. It surprised me that the director had such a common given name and that anyone working under him would have knowledge of it. I think it'll put Peter more at ease. Anything I can do, Dennis. Director Griffith put his hand on Westbrook's shoulder. All five overseers voted for this operation. There's not much I can do. Well, we'll just have to hope for the best, won't we? Dr. Westbrook's smile wasn't convincing. I couldn't blame him. Every attempt at severing the connection between SCP-5808 and his son had ended in failure. He was barely holding on for Peter's sake. We all slid into the only unoccupied table to watch. Director Griffith quickly explained what would happen. The shuttle would fire some kind of gravity repulsor ray commandeered from the SCP vaults. The idea was that they would push SCP-5808 away from the Earth's orbit and hope that the resulting distance would sever the links between it and Peter. Thanks for the birthday presents, Cody. Peter smiled, and I matched his smile in return. While I don't have a salary in the traditional sense, I was recently issued a black credit card on the SCP's tab. It's supposed to be for anything we might need in the field so that angry shop owners don't rat us out to the feds when we commandeered equipment. I had used it to get Peter a stack of old paperbacks of anthology comics the kind filled with weird stories that had been the mainstay before capes and costumes had muscled their way in. I figured you would like some stories until I stock up on some new ones. I gestured toward the main monitor. But hey, looks like you're going to have a story of your own to tell. Peter's smile widened as we turned back to the screen. Something from the craft rippled outward, a shimmering light that I called a tractor beam 
which only got a scoff from Director Griffith. At first, nothing happened. But then slowly, the moon moved back, slow and steady at first. But then it began to shake. Peter convulsed in the chair next to me. The tech shouted something about instability, but Overseer Meacham barked at them to increase the intensity. The vibrations grew more intense on the moon and cracks formed on the surface. Peter screamed as his arms and legs bent back at odd angles. His father rushed to his side and Griffith and I bolted up from our chairs. The boy's body started to fold in on itself. The only thing louder than the cracking of his bone was his screams and the stench of blood filled the air. Do not stop! Meacham yelled over the sound of Peter's breaking body. Get him to the medical wing! Griffith snapped to some nearby scientists and limped toward Meacham. Overseer Meacham, cancel the operation now! Meacham crossed his arms. You're too attached to the family director. Do you honestly expect me to risk all the children of Earth for the sake of one? I gave Meacham my two cents. We've got more PhDs in this facility than a Mensa convention. Call it off and give us time. He wove me away like a fly. Security, remove Agent Hale from the room. How about I remove you, you cold-hearted son of a- I grabbed Meacham by the collar, and his hands came to life in a blur. My wrist cracked as Meacham bent it at an angle it was never meant to go in. I grunted and swore louder, but he refused to let go. Not until Director Griffith shoved the end of his cane straight into the overseer's groin. Meacham bent over, and Griffith thrust again, striking him in his throat. Meacham gurgled, but the old man didn't stop. He swung his cane, cracking it in half across Meacham's thick head. The bigger man fell to the ground like a pile of bricks. Griffith stood panting, holding himself up awkwardly against one of the monitors. Several security guards approached, but the old man righted himself and stared them down. Overseer Meacham is indisposed. Pursuant to Foundation Protocol as ranking on-site member, I'm assuming control of the operation. Stand down. The guards exchanged confused looks but backed off. Several medics rushed Peter onto a gurney as Director Griffith called off the cruiser's repulsor maneuvers. We waited until the orders were followed before running to the medical wing. An hour later, we were all in a hospital room. Peter had regained consciousness, and all of us stood there in silence, me with my wrist in a cast. The only sound was the beeping of the monitors and the rise and fall of the machine that allowed Peter to breathe. My wife and I had terrible timing, Dennis said as he sat near the bed, head in his hands. We had Peter late in life, long after we thought our child-rearing days were behind us. He has an older brother and sister, you know. One's getting ready to graduate college, the other's getting married. The doctor and I exchanged glances at each other and didn't know what to say. What could you say to someone whose world was about to end, when the whole world could end? Dennis looked up to us and smiled sadly. Could you give us a minute alone? At the time, I thought it was a reasonable request. Director Griffith and I walked back to the operation room, not saying a word. Usually, I chain smoke and binge on coffee in situations like the one we were in. Since I couldn't do the former, I did the latter and got myself and the director a cup. He conferred with the other scientists about possible alternative solutions, but most of the jargon went over my head. Then the clacks and alarms went off and the room flashed red. Director Griffith! One of the techs yelled. SCP-5808 is expanding again, faster than before. No, it can't be expanding. 
I looked up to see Dr. Westbrook standing at the door. His mouth dropped open and all the blood drained from his face. It should have stopped. It should be over. It should be over. What have I done to you, Peter? Was this all for nothing? I rushed into Peter's room. His life support was disconnected. He was dead. Dr. Westbrook, what the hell did you do? Westbrook turned as if he didn't hear me. I followed him out the hall, but he was already sprinting. The man was older, but in considerably better shape than I was. He rushed into the quarters that he shared with his son. The doors locked, clicked behind him as I began pounding on the door. Director Griffith came gasping down the hallway behind me. Dennis! He yelled. Open the- A single gunshot erupted from behind the door. After that, the alarms stopped. SCP-5808 crumbled apart across the monitors as security broke down the door to Dr. Westbrook's room. We watched as the second moon broke apart into nothingness. Everyone thought that SCP-5808 had only been linked to Peter, but it had also been connected to his father all along. Dr. Westbrook had saved the world, but it had cost him everything. Do you know why I recruited you? I looked over at Director Griffith in numb shock as he kept talking. Because of your articles. You have a talent for seeing things that other people don't. I felt heat behind my eyes and my throat tightened. Not this time. But maybe you would have. If I had brought this to you sooner, given you access to the file earlier, maybe things would have played out differently. And maybe they wouldn't have. Maybe not. But I at least can make sure we won't be wondering the same thing in the future. Director Griffith stood from his chair. I'm not sure how long I have until the overseers force my retirement. As of now, you have level three clearance. Stay vigilant, Cody. Make sure something like this doesn't happen again. I'll never like Director Griffith. Our tactics are just too different. But as I watched him slump away in defeat, I understood where he came from. He was somebody who dealt with situations like this daily. I don't know what my future with the Foundation will be, but I'll never forget Griffith standing up to Meacham all for the sake of one boy. It gives me hope that no matter how long I stay here, there'll be lines that I'll never cross and choices that I hope I'll never have to make. SCP-5808 is an astronomical phenomenon affecting Peter Westbrook, SCP-5808-1, and a lunar satellite that manifested upon its birth. SCP-5808-1 was born on 2009-08-25 at exactly 12, 13, and 38 seconds GMT, measuring 48 centimeters and weighing 4.8 kilograms. Its mother, researcher Deborah Westbrook, died during childbirth with no cause of death determined. SCP-5808-1 shows no anomalous properties other than its connection to SCP-5808-2. SCP-5808-2 is a lunar satellite that manifested on 2009-08-25 at exactly 12, 13, and 38 seconds GMT, approximately 20,000 kilometers from Earth. At the time of manifestation, SCP-5808-2 measured approximately 4.8 meters in diameter with a similar radiological composition to Earth-1. Annually on August 25th, SCP-5808-2 undergoes a rapid expansion in size, increasing in magnitude with each year. As of 2019-07-30, SCP-5808-2 measures approximately 170 meters, 
which is estimated to increase to approximately 250 meters on 2019-08-25. Any physical damage occurring to SCP-5808-1 or SCP-5808-2 will directly correlate to damage on the other. The exact means by which SCP-5808 operates is currently unknown, but is theorized to be some form of anomalous quantum entanglement.